Welcome to the Speaking From Our Hearts podcast. In this edition, we'll be talking about many aspects of life, particularly health, relationships and wealth-related topics, all from a heart-centred approach. Your host, Paul Lowe, has a long and successful history of helping others through his coaching and mentoring, as well as his many charitable initiatives. He's been responsible for positively impacting thousands of people's lives, particularly young people from challenging backgrounds. Paul is the author of the books Mastering the Game of Life from Pain to Purpose and Speaking from Our Hearts. Welcome listeners to this Speaking From Our Hearts podcast episode where I'm joined today by Sally Saunders from New Zealand and Sally is going to talk to us about fascinating, well I believe it's a fascinating title, We Only Get One Shot At This Life. So Sally, very, very warm welcome to you. Thank you so much Paul, it's nice to be here. Thank you. Okay, so we only get one shot at this life. Tell us more. I guess that starts really in, in around 2014 when I got very sick. Um, I was, I had a lot of stress in my life. I was in my own uh, real estate business. I was in a marriage that, that didn't really satisfy me um, in lots of ways. And I was physically training very hard for master's rowing. So um, my body and everything was under quite a bit of stress. And then one day I just woke up and my body just decided that, no, I'm not going to do what you want me to do any further. And I'm going to um, make you listen. Mm. I'd had a couple of warnings maybe six weeks beforehand that, that I had a bit of the flu or, you know, like wasn't feeling great. But I didn't slow down. And um, I just kept on going and expecting myself to do that. So I ended up in hospital. I... My, um, I couldn't talk, I couldn't walk, my muscles um, felt like they were all on fire. My, I had a hideous rash all over me. They couldn't actually decide what it was at the time. They didn't know what it was. I was in hospital for about six days um, on huge doses of steroids and other medication. So I went home um, and it took me about six weeks before I could get back to work. I got back to work and I was, um, this was in August in 2014. In February 2015, they actually, I had another um, relapse. My body just, once again, just didn't want to do what I wanted it to do. Um, And so I ended up uh, back at the the specialist and they diagnosed me with having an autoimmune disease called lupus, which is pretty insidious, which basically means that I don't have an immune system anymore. Um, I have a, a point of stress level. If I go over it, I go, I get sick, and I have to go on steroids. Basically, that's that's it. Um, I don't, uh, yeah, I don't have a recovery of my own. So I um, I spent a year being a very sick person and on huge medication, um, huge amount of steroids, and lots of other medication, and in. Um, 2015, uh, I think, yeah, it was not long after I'd sort of been diagnosed. Um, I, no, it was, sorry, I'm just trying to think of the timeline. It was uh, about a year that I was just getting through life with huge medication, not functioning very well. My whole, my, my past life with exercise and fitness and everything had completely gone. Um, and I was just... <laughs> getting through so 
I'd went back to the specialist and the specialist had said to me that you can't stay on these steroids for this level of steroids for any longer. Um, it's going to damage your, your body. We need to put you on a, um, a drug called methotrexate, which is a cancer type of drug. I looked it up and there was a lot of side effects. He said, you're going to be on that for the rest of your life. And that's, that's you know, that's just that you, you, you're faced with that. And so I went to the chemist and I got the prescription filled and I stood at my, my bench and I went to take these pills and I, and I stopped and I thought, no, that's not the person who I am. It's not who I want to be. Um, I'm not going to live my life on these pills. I would rather actually not be alive rather than be that person that I had become on medication and all the rest of it. So I didn't take those pills. And in fact, I stopped all other pills at the same time. I did have to take the steroids for a year to actually wean myself off them because you can't stop them straight away. You have to, mm. your body doesn't function, you know, you um, if you don't. So um, it took me a year uh, after that to actually get to stop taking them. I still have to take them every now and then when my stress levels get to that point where my body's not, goes into a bit of, um, overdrive and I'll generally just take it for a couple of days and then pick myself back up again but I, I can manage it really well now and I'm on no other drugs whatsoever most of the time I'm on, on nothing so um, in order to get me to the next stage I employed a mind body and spirit coach uh, a husband and wife team who I worked with for about six months and worked through a lot of historical issues um, I'm the last of seven children in a marriage that split up when I was 11. My father never had anything to do with me. So there was a whole lot of abandonment issues. There was, yeah. um, you know, where do I belong? Who am I? All of those sort of things. Yeah. And, and yeah. I had completely lost myself in the marriage of 29 years to a absolutely lovely man. Um, and there was no infidelity. There was no abuse. There was, there was nothing. He was a good dad. Um, which made it even harder. He's a very good good friend of, of my family, um, good person. So it made it very hard for me to walk away, but I did. I saw that I had to do mm -hmm. that. I actually went to a mindfulness class, and um, on the very last night we sort of went into a meditation where we had to stand in our truth, and I got it very clearly that I actually had to leave the marriage. So um, in March in 2016, that's exactly what I did. So I'm not a medical person, but I'm interested in this, if we can just take a few backward steps um, mm, around sure. this relationship between stress and autoimmune. Is there a correlation? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I, I, I believe categorically. I'm actually in a state at the moment. I've just done a, um, a fundraising event, which I've spoken at, and, um, and I've done all the back, you know, selling the tickets, getting the prizes, raising the money, and so I've had a really busy kind of stressful time for the last few weeks mm. um and it and it happened last night and today my body has just gone into absolute lupus-like actions I, my, my inflammatories are all up my body i could hardly walk this morning right um and that's just because i have pushed myself over that limit limit again i haven't taken steroids today but i probably will have to tomorrow right just so, knowing knowing my body so, and that's just stress so did the yes. medical profession did they um 
advise you that it's you know the more you put yourself under stress the more this is going to kick in no no not really um it's something that i've found for myself i actually i am an ex-nurse um and we're the worst people to you know be patients really because we know it but um but i really have sort of gone alone i haven't been back to my specialist since 2015 um and so and i don't recommend everybody do that i just feel for me that it was the right thing to do Mm. and i recognized that a lot of my issues were emotional um and historical and i knew that because i i wasn't dealing with them so um i found an alternative way for myself but certainly i would wouldn't you know i would advise people wouldn't advise people to to take (laughs) <laughs> to their health into their own hands unless they're really, you know. I guess, I, you know, I knew that if I went back through the medical profession, I was just going to be filled with more drugs. And I didn't want to do that, you know. That's not mm. the, the, the the way that I wanted to go. It's an interesting comment, Sally, there about um, I wouldn't advise people to take their health into their own hands. I think <laughs> there's a lot of people that would disagree with that. Well, um, I, probably, I, I probably would advise them, but I wouldn't like to be be held up accountable for advising yeah, them. Yeah, I guess yeah, that's yeah. The, the yeah. way that I really feel like, I, you know, just the same as I wouldn't advise people to, to end their marriages and things. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of processes that go through it and there's a lot of decisions to be made before you actually do do that sort of thing. Mm. So um, just because it's the road that I took doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that it's everybody's road, but I think, you know, it's it's one that has to be looked at in the whole big picture of everything. It does, um, and there's a valid point in there, Sally, isn't there, that, you know, it's the road that you took, and certainly in a, a very challenging health situation in my in my earlier life, called uh, a label called diabetes, that um, yes. the medical profession were absolutely insistent I carried around. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I totally hear where you're coming from in terms of this, you know, you know your own body better than anybody. Absolutely. And, and Position that, heal thyself. And I believe <laughs> that to be true for all of us. I yeah. think where we struggle as a generalisation, as a collective, Sally, is the fact that we're we're led to believe from a very early age in the power of sort of authority. You know, doctors know best, nurses know best, uh, teachers know best, adults know mm-hmm. best, and all this kind of way of thinking and shaping our belief system to the mm-hmm. point where mm. you know i speak to so many people and and you you know off air we spoke uh, previously around this who am i and we we collect these plasters and these labels and these beliefs as we go along our journey and we end up walking around with all these labels and uh, we look in the mirror absolutely. and we say oh that's who we are well why because you've got a plaster that says I am female, I am blonde, I am this, I am... Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Let's take that off and then see who you are underneath. And and that's part mm-hmm. of the process, I think, in a conversation like this, uh, Sally, to keep... Okay, let's, let's pull that plaster off. Let's pull that one off, that label, that label. Now have we got... Absolutely, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I, and I really do think that, um, you know, a lot of the medical profession, um, they do very, very good work, but mm. I don't think they look at the whole person a lot of the time. 
and it has to do with diet it has to do with emotion it has to do with stress and it's and it's the whole person it's Absolutely. not just the fact that they're presenting in this particular way at this particular time so um, I guess that's the the process that I went through for myself I realized that yeah this has happened because I'm actually not listening to my body it's happened mm. because I have been getting many missing many messages that I'm not in the place that I need to be but I continue to stay in that place because I didn't want to hurt other people I didn't want to make waves you know like that had been my pattern I, I didn't you know was I a people pleaser I, I pretty much was um, but I didn't want to hurt people and I didn't and I, and I was scared you know mm. I was scared if I left the marriage I've got two grown-up children I've got brothers and sisters and you know like I've got all of those things that I had no idea how they would react or um, whether they would agree with me or not agree with me and, and it, it pretty much came down to that I was I was there because I was afraid of what everybody else would think and say and mm -hmm. do and in the end it got to the fact that I didn't have a choice I had to save myself I couldn't stay there any longer because I had made myself sick yeah. by staying there and uh, you know I didn't have it I really see that I did not have a choice any longer I just had to take some time out and and find out where where I fit again you know um what makes me happy what what do I do and um and it you know it has been a real process that's that's three years ago that I I made that step and I stepped pretty much completely out of my life completely I left my hometown I left my house that we've had for 29 years I left my marriage um, my daughter was had just returned from traveling overseas and she was at home um, all my friends in the base of the town that I was in I moved um, 100 kilometers up the coast and and stayed in my sister's caravan at the, at the back of her place um, and started in another real estate business and, and worked there for sort of 16 months and and it was bloody hard it was you know it certainly wasn't easy I, um, I really struggled a lot of the time but I knew that it was the right thing for me I knew yeah. that I definitely knew that that's that's what I had had to do. I had to remove myself from the whole situation mm -hmm. um, because if I'd stayed in the town, I know that I wouldn't have been able to make a clean break. And um, and you know, my husband is is so caring that he wouldn't have been able to leave me you know, <laughs> um, to sort myself out. Mm -hmm. He would have been um, always there. To try and and work things out and things like, and I actually just needed to to get away and, and do that. So, so yes, it was extremely extremely hard. Um, but it you know like it, it it came right. I my I lost my brother in March of two thousand and seventeen um, to cancer. He was in Australia, so I went over to the funeral. I I was with him when he passed away, which was a absolutely um, you know, a, a tough time, but it was an extremely privileged time because I was able to look after him and his family. I'm an ex-nurse, so um, so it was a really meaningful time for me. I came back home um, on the Friday, and on the Sunday, I decided 
that. And I think there was a lot of his spirit that was there with me to help me decide um, that I was going to embark on a big trip and go overseas. And, and I was going to walk the Camino, which was the Camino um, de Santiago, and it was the Francis Way. So 800 kilometres across Spain, um, wow. across the Pyrenees. And, uh, yeah, it took me six weeks. Um, and it was one of the most amazing things that I've ever done in my life. It was wow. just fabulous. It was just fabulous. All you had to do was get up in the morning, um, you know, pack your bag and walk and find some food during the day and find a place to sleep and some food in the evening and then repeat <laughs> the next day. Um, I don't think all is a word I'd use there, Sally. <laughs> all you had to do. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, well, I mean, it, you didn't have to think about anything else other than yeah. that, which, you know, like, yes, um, it, it was pretty big asks. Most of the days I would walk between between 18 and 25 kilometres a day probably. Um, there was a big patch in the middle when I couldn't walk for about four or five days because both of my Achilles had um, been quite severely damaged and with having the backpack on, I ended up by having to send my backpack on to um, the next lot of accommodation and things because the pressure on, on my back and my Achilles was too much. Mm. Um, once again, it was extremely painful at times and it was extremely hard. I'd be walking along. Um, there was a, a huge desert part, the Masita Desert in there, um, and there is nobody. You don't see, you know, that. <laughs> The Camino has become very popular now and, and mostly you probably wouldn't walk for more than half a day um, without seeing other people. So there's people coming and going and, and mm. they're all kindred spirits really. They're all there um, for all sorts of reasons and all sorts of, you know, some spiritual, some is emotional, some's family, just some people just want to get out and exercise. It's yeah. just um, absolutely unbelievable. The people that I met with was just fabulous. But the majority of the time I would be walking on my own. I would meet up with people, would walk for a little while. Sometimes we'd walk for days together. Then we'd go our separate ways. And um, and the different souls that you met along the way was just just fabulous. I had I had made the pact um, that I would start the uh, I, but the first half of the walk would be letting go of my past, and the second half would be walking into my future. Wow. So. Um, it was extremely powerful. There was lots of little spiritual awakenings um, and things like that. And yeah, it was it was huge because I had never travelled before either. I'd, I'd um, it was a big adventure for me. That's that's a fascinating. I love what you've said there. So that's a fascinating insight about the first half was the past. The second half is the future. Um, mm -hmm. If we could just share the one of the first books. Uh, <laughs> I kind of cringe when I, when I even mention it now, although it did make me a lot of money. It was called um, The Game of Life, um, Half-Time Reflections, mm -hmm. and it was based on my time in professional football. And basically yes. what it was around was the first half of our lives as people, we are players, we're on the pitch, we're taking part in the game. Mm -hmm. And then I think when we get to a certain part in our journey, and it's not necessarily an age thing, although usually is, but not always, we need to take a half-time breather. There's yes. a half-time whistle that says, right, okay, rest now, reflect. 
And what I use the metaphor, uh, Sally, is that in the second half, we don't come out as players, we come out as managers. Mm-hmm. And we manage players because we've played the game. We understand mm-hmm. the, you know, the, all the challenges, all the tackles and all the issues of, of striving for goals, etc., etc. in our yes. first half. And we've got all this energy and we're headstrong and we're driven and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And then nature, as she does very beautifully, I think, she just comes along and gives you a little tap and says, mm, no, no, yeah. you're playing Absolutely. by your rules, not mine. And understand, mm-hmm. I'm the one that she's the one with the whistle, and that's yes. been a very, very powerful lesson for me to learn in that half-time reflection. So, yes. okay, yeah. never mind your ego, Paul. Never mind your drive. Never mind you, 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 I, 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 mm-hmm. because oh, mother nature, and she's not interested in that. Yeah, no. And I think that's what we learn it's as a that. result of those half times. So Wouldn't it be said, nice if it could be around the other way, though, Paul? Well, <laughs> in some ways, you know, like in those times where we drive, 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 push, 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 you know, just a little bit of this. Hang on, just, just calm down and just take it a bit slower. We would, we would benefit so greatly from that. Well, that's yeah, that's what I call let the ball do the work. So yeah. I had, I had this conversation once with a guy, very, very, very legendary figure in in uh, in British football a few years ago, and absolutely beautiful spirit uh, and, a, and a first-class gentleman and um, we had a conversation as, as we had many about the philosophies of it, it, in fact it was Dave Mackay the Spurs legend and um, mm-hmm. and he said listen Paul he said you're a lot younger than me you run around you've got this energy he said you know when I played I didn't run around he said I'd wait for that one moment to play that pass onto somebody's head and it might be the 89th it might be the 90th minute but that's a goal and that's one nil you don't have to run around like somebody that's crazy just sit back Mm. create space Mm. and I didn't understand I understood Mm -hmm. the benefit of of space in a football sense Sally but I didn't understand space in in what we now term you know within in life as you know create space Mm -hmm. Uh, to allow mm. growth and, and, and love and what have you. But what fantastic advice that was because what Absolutely. we say is we don't need to rush it. We don't need to punish our bodies. It's You know, okay, understand that athletes do that to win gold medals. I get that. But they don't, mm-hmm. it's interesting. They don't do it forever. And that's what you said mm-hmm. really with your rowing. Your body's saying, Sally, no, 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 no. Stop it. We've had enough. Mm. And it's time for... For you to maybe find out who you really are, not who you think you are as a potential, dare I say, Olympic rower or whatever the standard was, but actually, we've got other plans for you. I know it was absolutely crazy. I didn't start rowing, I didn't get into a boat until I was 54. <laughs> and it was my children, my children both rowed, and then all of a sudden, somebody said one day, Oh, do you want to give it a go? And I thought, Oh, yeah, okay, great. So I was 54 and I was, um, I would have been 58 when I got sick and um, I was competing, I was rowing with 30 year olds, 30, Mm. 35, 40 year olds and I was damn determined that I was going to not be the slowest one on the boat, you know, Mm. (laughs) And, and I was very much overweight and, you know, like, when I think about it, God, really, Sally, you had to prove yourself so hard, so much um, that you, you you got yourself sick because I didn't have a, an off button, really. Yeah. When I do things, uh, um, it's always been I'm all or nothing. I'm either 
out there trying to break the Olympic records or I'm sitting on the couch, you know. <laughs> it's like mm. it's um there has never been really a very good balance. Um there is there is much better now, but in those times there there wasn't a balance. I didn't know how to not give a hundred percent or um or get off the couch. It was very much that it was a swinger around about. So what does that yeah. second half look like then, Sally, when you said, because we've kind of, we've looked at the first half now. In fact, this has felt really nicely the way you've described it, the first half, breather, second half. So tell us what the second half looks like or feels like. Well, the, sec- the second half of the walk was quite um, quite amazing because it was, was a, a dig-in uh, situation, really, because I was tired and it was hard and my legs were sore and, and I... I tended to have a lot of spiritual um, guidance in that second half, which was great. And there were certain things that happened along the way that I'm like, oh, okay, I know that I'm looked after here and I know that I'll get to the other end. Um, I remember around about the halfway point, I was doing a bit of a video, um, uh, Facebook blogs and things like that. I'd seen a few videos back and, um, and messages and things. And one in particular was sort of halfway through and I was absolutely beaten i we'd had mount we'd climbed huge mountains it was 35 degrees and excuse me i was absolutely buggered i you know like everything ached everything was sore and i and i i had promised myself that when i was going to record these things i was going to record the the highs as well as the lows you know mm. it was, was wasn't just going to be all beer and skittles i suppose and um, I had sent this video home, at, <laughs> and I should never have done it to these poor people because I was crying, I was in tears, I had had enough, I couldn't go any further. Um, and But at the same time, I was telling the story that I knew that I would go further. At that particular point, I just feel like I'd, I'd had enough. And so um, the, the messages of support and love that I got the very next day and and fear of people wanting to know if I was okay. And, you know, God, I'm, I'm over on the other side of the world on my own. I didn't do this with a, t- uh, with a tour guide or anything like that. I was completely solo. So, um, but the love and support and everything. And the next day I'd actually woken up. I'd been re- well rested and I thought, okay, let's get going again. <laughs> so yeah. I put these people through this. But um, but it was, was very much like that. Okay, you're going to have days where you're going to really struggle and other days that life goes quite easy. And I think that's probably the biggest lesson that I've learned from, from that is because I always thought that I was the factor that that dictated whether days were good or bad. You know, mm. like it was all me, as you were saying before, it's me, me, me. And in those days where I had bad days, I wasn't good enough. I was, I would, the self-talk, the head stuff that, you know, like I, I can't do this, um, you know, I'm useless. I, I might as well not be here. I was mm. definitely... Um, I didn't want to be on the planet for for many many years, and and it was the yo-yo of being in that place to the one that would get up and succeed and go and do everything that was wonderful and everything was great, you know, and have big adventures. So um, there's certainly become that second half has become more okay. You know, you don't feel great today, so do what you can. Mm. That's enough. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, or if you do feel good today, okay, do something a little bit more. But just realise that that's actually okay. Um, I think I've learned as I've certainly got older is that, you know, nature has seasons. 
you know, nature has a winter, spring, summer and fall, and we can have those as well. We do have those. We have yeah. times where we perform at our best and then we have times that we don't, you know. Um, but it's not all about me and how bad I am. I don't need to take it personally. Mm-hmm. I don't need to make it personal. So, so yeah, um, it took me six weeks to to do the walk. I did get a little bit of bus help simply because I my son was in London and he was um, going to be rowing at Henley or Regatta. So I I had a time frame that I needed to get back to that. So I went back to London from there and then I spent five months just travelling um, on my own around Europe and I went, one of the most amazing places I went to was um, I went to, oh, I'm going to, absolutely forget where I went to now. I went to Kiev in the Ukraine. Right. <laughs> um, I had met a woman for three hours. We had chatted um, at a bar on the and when we'd actually got to Santiago after the walk had finished. And she said to me, you must come to my country. And I said, you might regret saying that. <laughs> she said, I'd love you to come to my country. So um, I... I was doing house sitting. I, I did six weeks house sitting in Germany and five weeks in France. And and I'd come to this end of the house sit and I thought, where am I going to next? What am I going to do? And I, I contacted this woman and I said, oh, were you serious? She said, yes, absolutely. So I went through Poland and then I went to the Ukraine and, and I stayed with this beautiful family. And, uh, you know, I did things that I never, ever thought that I would ever do in my whole life, you know, just travelling-wise and went to places. I went went all, I went to about 17 different countries, all told, in that five months. So so I came home um, seven months later after I'd left, not knowing where I was going, what I was doing or anything. But it was sort of – I realise now that that was a hugely cathartic mm. thing for me to do um, – before I got married, I was I lived in several different places. I lived in, in Australia for a while and, and different places. And I had a very full and adventurous type of life. And when I got married, um, we didn't have that sort of life. Finances were never there. We lived in the same house. We didn't have – my husband was not a risk taker. Um, he was a very um, stable, you know, salt of the earth type guy. Yeah. And – and I realised that I lived his life mm. from there on. You know, like I got married, and all of those things that actually make me who I am were 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 dumbed down. So I I look at it that that his vibration was somewhat lower than mine, mm. and I vibrate quite high. Um, eventually, I just learned to vibrate at a very low level, and I stayed there for you know twenty nine years mm. until I was about to turn sixty. And we were about to have our 30th wedding anniversary and I sat there and I thought, do I actually want to be there, to be there at my 30th wedding anniversary? And the answer was no. Mm. So I had to make that decision and say, no, okay, if it's not if that's not where you want to be, you've, got a, you've only got one life. You've yeah. only got one shot at this. Yeah. And I figured if I lived till I was 80, I only had 20 years left. 20 years is not a long time no, when you're at no. 60, you know, and mm. living to 80 is not a given. And I was like, my God, I'm so unhappy and unwell. If I don't do this now, I'm not going to ever be able to do that because I've only got one shot. Yeah. So um, 
and some people, you know, say that I was brave and courageous and, and all of those things. I actually think that I just didn't have a choice. I actually had to save myself. I got to that point that I, I knew that if I stayed, I was just going to get sicker and I was going to just end up in a box. Yeah. And it wouldn't be long. So I had to, I still don't know what's around the corner. I'm still floating <laughs> um, quite considerably. So to use that, that title or that word that shot Sally what what is the aim now then as you as you go into that final quarter based on your your 80 year projection um, mm -hmm. so I'm framing it on that your words so what does that mm -hmm. final quarter and beyond look like what what's the aim of that shot now well I think I just probably possibly have to just take one step back and say that um I did have another adventure last year, which was was fairly monumental as well. Um, and I don't know why I have to choose these big, um, rather huge adventures. And I, I walked to, um, in Nepal, I went did the base camp, the Everest base camp trek. Wow. Unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't quite make it. Um, we made it to 300 metres from base camp. And um, and my friend and I had decided that minus 10 degrees, we were walking in minus four, we couldn't breathe the altitude. She was very, very sick. Um, we decided that, yeah, that was that was it. We had to pull the plug, which was excruciating. Just it was, it was the hardest thing. Yeah. And then um, the next day we had to get helicoptered off because she had, had severe altitude sickness. So um, I, it was the, definitely the right thing for us to do, but it was also very hard to take when you've, you've set up on a, a task to get there and you get so close. But having said that, it was a huge, huge um, event. And once again, I just thought one day I'm going to do this. And then six months later, I was doing it. So I don't know what's around the corner, <laughs> to be honest. Okay. Like, I think that my need to prove things to myself has been satisfied in that because um, <laughs> I think that that was the driving force between those. I, I was thinking that I know that I'm capable of really quite extraordinary things um, physically and mentally and I just had never, I hadn't, you know, for 30 years I hadn't done anything that really stretched me um, out and I I needed to do that to mm. get to that point where I, where I thought, yep, okay, that's it. So from here, um, I guess, you know, financially is a big thing for me. I'm, I'm sort of, of course, when you leave a marriage, you, you know, you leave your, in, your, your, you don't leave all your income, but um, we were nev never, we, we lived a, a modest life, I guess. Um, so, and I chose when I left, um, when we split the marriage finances, that travel was something that was extremely important to me before I died. So I was going to, um, to do this. So that means I have to work still in my old age, you know, like I have to work for the, the next 20 years till I get to 80. <laughs> well, no, sorry. It's only 17 years, 16 years, 18 years now. So, um, that's that's something that I need to and and I have just decided I have been in real estate. I've decided that 
real estate really isn't something that fills my soul um, mm. and I'm aware that I need to do something now that actually really feels like it's coming from my heart and I'm making a difference in people's lives. Um, that's really important to me. Um, but I also want to live life to its very fullest while I have health and, um, you know, take those opportunities when they come up to go to the concerts. My biggest things, you know, music and, and concerts and travel and experiences rather than, um, than actually worrying about, you know, you know, those those things that we tend to, or that I tended to just worry about every day, every day, normal things. But mm. now, no, let's just, let's just live life. Um, and because I've only got one shot, you know, I'm not coming yeah. back and, uh, you know, like, I don't know how I'm coming back or I don't know what happens in the next life or, or whatever, but, but man, I've only got one. And if I want to do things here, there are, there's a big long list of things that I would like to do. Um, but, you know, it, I will tick them off hopefully one by one and there'll always be something else that I'll, that I'll want to do. And, yeah, it's just about living them, I guess. Wow. And, and I think that's the thing that I, I really value, um, that I've had the courage to actually step out of that mm. box. Yeah. Step out of where I was feeling absolutely like I was hope it was hopeless that this was my lot this was there was no other option you know we worked we we paid the bills we did all this um you know we had the house we kept the house going but I don't own a house now I house sit I live in other people's houses mm. <laughs> and, I, and I travel around and and that's fascinating that's great you know yeah. it's um I get to live in a different house every I've got a big uh, long-term house at the moment, nine months, but usually every sort of three months or so, I'll have another place that I'll, I'll be living in. So mm. it's wonderful. Great um, stuff. I've got two questions mm. to finally wrap mm. up, um, Sally. Sure. Um, and there's a reason for this, so please bear with me. Um, one of them is, in fact, I'll do it in reverse order. So... Mm -hmm. Yeah, two minutes on both, and there's a reason that I kind of could because I keep it really focused. So, when your final, your words, not mine, 20 years or beyond yes. is up, if somebody said, Right, Sally, you've got two minutes to leave your real big, powerful story, message, inspiration, call it what you will, to the world mm -hmm. in two minutes, because we could all spend a lifetime recounting oh, that. Oh, absolutely. One. But two min in two minutes, Sally, what would you say to the world? If there is something that you want to do, do it. Don't make excuses to not do it. If there is something that you feel that you're meant for, to try, to do, to, you know, that you want to do, do it. Make sure it happens. Because if it doesn't happen, you die and you haven't done it. Mm. And it's still there for you to do. And if it's something that you desired that you want to do um, and you don't do it, well, what's the purpose? What's the point of this life? I think you, know you summed that up in 30 seconds, Sally. So well done. Right. You didn't mm. need two minutes. You did in 30 seconds. But this one, <laughs> and this is the follow-on from that, um, mm -hmm. two minutes again. It was a bit like a quiz show, this, isn't it, where we've got a <laughs> clock and it's, and it's counting down. <laughs> so this one... Um, Sally, is this. 
I've listened to what you've said around the, you know, the game of two halves and the contrast and how you found yourself not by the external, what I call silver trinkets and, you know, the stuff mm -hmm. that on the surface of it, people think you're happy because you should be happy because, because, because. Yeah. Well, actually, that's not inside me, so you don't know. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I massively understand to be true, Sally, is this, when we speak from our hearts... The, you used the word cathartic earlier on, the cathartic benefits nature that it brings within us in our lives to be able to learn to speak from the hearts, not speak on externals, but turn that mm -hmm. back inside and speak from there and that healing that goes with that. So, yet again, um, Sally, if I was to say to you a very, very direct, uh, but I think simple question, what does speaking from your heart mean to you? Oh, good question. Being honest and being real and not silver-coating it, not making, that it, not making it okay for others. Not saying things so that um, others feel comfortable or that it makes what they're doing or saying okay when you, when you don't feel it is. Um, speaking from my heart is being vulnerable. It's actually showing the the shit with the sugar. <laughs> you know, it's there's good and there's bad and everything, and it's not right or it's not wrong. It just is. And I think speaking from the heart is not making a judgment on what I'm saying. That it is okay, whatever I say is is okay. If that's if that's coming from my heart, then it's perfectly okay. Then it's absolutely, you know, there is no right or wrong from it. And yeah, and not making a judgment of myself on it. I think it's pretty important. Um, yeah, just being honest and being real and saying it as it is. Thank you for that, Sally. The um, yeah. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Because for me, that one question, and I love your reaction to it, is like, wow, what a question. Mm. And it is because there's a, there's on the surface of it, a simple question, but no, it's quite deep. It mm. really puts people on the spot because for mm. me, when we look at the, the transformation that we undergo as people from that external, bracket Sally's first half, to internal, bracket Sally's second half, mm. It mm -hmm. is, for me, summed up by that being able to speak from our hearts. It's about mm -hmm. me, not me with a, a small M, but me with a capital M, with a big I, with a big S for self, who I mm -hmm. really am, not who the outside world thinks I am. And that's, mm. that's the subtle, or not so subtle difference, isn't it? Mm. Absolutely. I um, Something that Brene Brown, I love Brene Brown's mm. um, work on vulnerability and courage yeah. and strength and things. And I remember her um, reading that vulnerability is the um, the highest form of courage that one can one can show, and mm. I and I guess that for me that pretty much sums up. Oh, I'm going to get really emotional here. Sums up my decision to leave my marriage and things mm. because I became extremely vulnerable yeah. in my in my courage. Yeah. And I still am. Yeah. I still am. Because 
when you're um, within that nucleus, that family nucleus, and then you step out of it, it's like, oh, what the hell? You know, mm. what's going to happen here? And you have to just move knowing. I just trust now. Actually, something something that I have learned, and I've never, I'll share, I, um, I didn't believe in God. I've always believed um, that there, I was looked after in some way, some form or something, spirit or something like that. And somebody, a good friend of mine, um, came up and she said, oh, you're talking, you know, I always believe in Gus. And and I have learned to believe in Gus. And, and Gus is God, universe and spirit. And so whenever I need to, whenever I feel vulnerable and I lack courage and I need that actual knowing, knowing that I've done the right thing, that I'm in the right zone, that I've, that I've, Travel, travel this road for a reason. I just call on Gus, and you know I get that support along the way. And and I've had in all my travels um, through Spain, through Europe, through Nepal, and things like that. Gus is not very far away, and um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that I've taken taken with this journey as well. It's not it's not a religious belief. It's not. I can't put my finger on it. It's just I know. I just know that I'm, you know, I, I do trust the universe that that these things are happening for a reason. There's a there's certainly um, a reason why I've been unhappy. There's been a reason why I've searched all my life to find that happiness, that inner happiness, and things. Um, and there's there's a reason why I left my marriage and I've taken the journey that I have for the last three years. And I believe that that journey is that that inner peace, that inner happiness. That's that's what I that's that will be my reward. Um, and I'm closer to it. I'm I'm so so much closer to it because I'm living in my lane now. I'm not living in anybody else's lane. But there's still lots of times that I get caught up in my head and and in society, societal type thinking and. Um, thinking, oh, you know, I've got to have that steady job. I've got to have that steady income. I've got to do those things because those are the things that are going to, you know, help me to, to reach 80. But I actually, I also know that those aren't the things that are going to help me reach there. And that's called awareness, it's, isn't it? That's called awareness, Yeah. which is, you know, yeah. we don't know what we don't know. Sally, I want no. to thank you immensely for for that share and particularly at the end for, for showing that vulnerability because Brenny Brown, I also follow Brenny Brown quite closely. Mm. Um, I think she's um, what I call an amazing academic. Um, <sighs> but uh, her yeah, simplicity just, of just... statements like your strength is your vulnerability is mm. is immense beyond words. So sincere mm. gratitude for, for having the courage to, to share that. Thank you. And I just want to finish now, listeners, with... Um, a theme really that Sally has brought up throughout her journey and that's traveling many paths and I want to leave listeners with this thought that just follow your path with heart hearts helping everyone achieve results towards success <laughs>